Do take a seat. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. And so we pray, speak to us this morning through your word, for your glory and for our good. Amen. Well, as we know from the uh, children's spot, today is the beginning of Advent. And contrary to what my son said, it's not the time we think about Christmas coming. It's the time we remember Jesus coming back. Certainly in the church's calendar, it's the time we think of the second coming of Christ. I vividly remember a time when I hear, I heard a preacher mention the return of Jesus. I remember it because I prayed in my heart, sincerely prayed in my heart, please make him, Lord, sh- sit down and shut up. It was a guest service. My friend was sat to my left and uh, I, I dragged him along and he'd just heard the gospel preached. He'd heard of the wonderful news that Jesus died to rescue sinners. He'd heard of the resurrection, that Jesus rose from the dead to uh, wash away our sin, to, to forgive us, to give us new life. And then terror filled my heart. He's going to mention the second coming. And I thought, don't do that. He's come to church for the first time. It sounds so strange. The resurrection of a man 2,000 years ago, that's odd enough. But the idea that that same man will one day come and judge the world, usher in the new king, please don't go there. Please don't go there. wonder if you can relate to that. I wonder, do we in our minds avoid thinking of the return of Jesus? It seems odd. I wonder, if you don't, do you encourage one another? Is that something that we use to encourage one another? Or is it something we slightly, politely, embarrassedly, awkwardly avoid? Well, today, this morning, we are considering the return of Christ. It's the teaching, the confident teaching of the church down through the ages and the hope of the Bible. And when we understand that one day Jesus will come back, it's wonderful. It gives us hope. It challenges us. It encourages us. And my prayer is, as we leave here, we'll be desperate to encourage one another with that truth. We'll be thrilled over lunch to tell one another, remember Jesus is coming back. It's good news. Well, there's three implications of this fact that Jesus is coming back. The first is this, from verses 13 to 18. A hope that triumphs over death. A hope that triumphs over death. And this first point is is a bit longer, but uh, with three points. It appears in Thessalonica that there was a particular pastoral issue that necessitates Paul's teaching. Remember, Paul and his team have planted this little church in Thessalonica, and they were chased out of town. And in the interim, it seems that somebody has died. Now, the death of a loved one brings up all kinds of thoughts and feelings, doesn't it? Well, for these young Christians, it raised a theological question. We can see a hint of it in verse 15. It seems that the Thessalonians were concerned that if somebody died before Christ returned, I guess they were thinking he might be sooner than he, ought, than he is. If somebody died before Christ returned, would they be a second-class citizen? Would they miss out on some of the blessings? And Paul is keen to say, verse 15, No, we who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. He addresses that concern. But Paul is keen to fill up their understanding, to help them understand the second coming, to give them hope. Look at verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant of those things about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. The return of Christ gives us a hope 
that triumphs over the grave. It reassures us the person who's died is absolutely safe. And one day we will be reunited with them and with the Lord. We're going to look at that in a minute. But before we do, notice what the return of Christ doesn't do. It doesn't take away grief. There's some here this morning who grieve deeply. Grief is deeply, immensely painful. In our first hymn, their second hymn, it was right, wasn't it? As we sung of Jesus' death, it went into a sad minor key, didn't it? Grief and death is terrible. Death is an intruder in this world. It does not belong. And the fact of Jesus coming doesn't remove that grief. It modifies it, but it doesn't remove it. But compared to the hope of the world, what a hope we have. Think of how the world around deals with death. Another angel's been added to the sky. Uncle Bob is playing on the 17th hole on the great golf course in the sky. And if we push people, they'd know there's little more than sentiment there. It's a nice thing to say at a funeral, but it's little more than wishful thinking, is it? There's no concrete uh, reality there. Or, but a little bit more hopeful. To live in hearts we leave behind is not to die. And there's a sense of truth in that, isn't it? We have beloved memories of those who've gone. But the problem is precisely that. They have gone. They are in our hearts, but they're no longer with us. And it's that separation that brings the grief. That they're in our hearts isn't much hope. But do we see, compared to that kind of sentiment or wishful thinking, we have a hope grounded in an objective fact. Look at verse 14. The fact that Jesus rose died and rose. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. That just as Jesus died and then three days days later he rose again. That battered, bloodied, bruised corpse restored to new life. So he will raise us as well. All the dead in Christ. But you see, he doesn't say the dead in Christ, does he? He says those who've fallen asleep in Christ. Many cultures use that kind of metaphor for death. They've fallen asleep. A euphemism, if you like. But for the Christian, it's much more than a euphemism. When we die, we know from the rest of our Bible, our soul goes to be with God in heaven. And our body rests, sleeps, until the day it will be raised again and reunited with our soul. Remember, the time when Jesus was called to heal a little girl. And he makes his way to her house. And as he arrives, he's told it's too late. He meets the mourners. They say she's died. And Jesus says, do not weep. Do not grieve. She's only sleeping. And they laugh. What nonsense. But Jesus goes to her room, takes her by the hand, and with a word, pulls her out of death. We're in the same way. All the dead in Christ are merely asleep, they will rise, just as Jesus himself rose. A month or so ago, I was at the funeral of my stepfather, a man whose body was ruined by motor neuron disease. For many years, hasn't been able to eat, to speak, the end, to even breathe without help. That ruined body will be raised up, restored, perfect new body. That is our hope. Well, in verse 15, 
Paul addresses the Thessalonians' specific concern. Will those who've fallen asleep first, will they miss out? And Paul says, no, on the word of the Lord, on the word of the Lord Jesus himself, this hope is for all Christians, however they died, whenever they died. And then he says in verse 16, how will it happen? Tells us what it's going to be. And we need to be careful. There's a couple of dangers here, I think. One is to press this imagery. This clearly is imagery. This is a kind of picture language. And the danger is we say, well, it's just a picture, just a nice myth, just another euphemism. No, it's much more than that. It's language that tells us something true. But the other danger is to push it too far, to press the details. This is a vision of the future, not a video. We can't push it too far. But look what we can see. Verse 16. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. It's all centered on Jesus. Jesus is coming back. Not an angel, not an impersonal force, not a big bang to end the world. Jesus is coming back. And as he comes, there'll be a loud command, a trumpet call of God, a voice of an angel. I think three ways of saying the same kind of thing. There'll be a loud cry that calls the dead out of the graves. A few months ago, we looked at the raising of Lazarus. Do you remember Jesus wept over the death of his friend? Then he went up to the grave and he called out, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man rose. And some wag had commented, if Jesus hadn't said, Lazarus, come out, the whole graveyard would have risen. Well, this is the moment that happens. Think of the graveyards we drive past. That will be emptied. All the places where ashes have been scattered... They will give up those ashes and the bodies will be restored. The bodies will be restored and reunited with their souls. And then after that, verse 17, we who are left behind, that is those Christians on earth at the time of Jesus' return, will be caught up with the Christian dead in the clouds to meet the Lord. The word here for caught up is the word for rapture. It's a word that's spun off a lot of different theological understandings but see what seems to be happening here it's the end of time the lord jesus comes back and those dead on the earth are caught up those alive on the earth are caught up with those who are dead and we have a few images in play here the first is the image from daniel 7 if you know it of the son of man who comes back jesus christ who comes back on the clouds of heaven publicly with great majesty to judge the world and bring in his kingdom He's coming on the clouds. But we also have a a Roman image. I'm told that when an emperor went to visit a city, the citizens of that city wouldn't go out to meet him at the gate. They'd go out into the fields and they would process with him into the city. They'd welcome him properly. And here we have the, the dead, the Christians, going up to meet the Lord as he comes down and welcome him to earth where he ushers in his kingdom. Do we see the reunions? Christian, dead, reunited with their body, the soul with the body. Then Christians reunited with each other, those who are dead, reunited with each other. We all see our loved ones again. And then reunited with the Lord. Look at verse 17. Aren't these marvellous words? And so we will be with the Lord forever. And so we will be with the Lord forever. I could preach a whole sermon on that. But you see how Jesus-centered it is. It's not about heaven. It's not about paradise. 
It is those things. But it's about Jesus. Living with the Lord Jesus under his authority. Everything restored to him. No more pain. No more death. No more suffering. No more injustice. No more sin. Rather a world that works as it was designed to. Loving the Lord. Loving each other. And it will be therefore paradise. Christian, does this encourage you? Does this not thrill your heart? And if you wouldn't call yourself a believer, it's wonderful you're here. As you see this kind of hope, if there's even the remotest possibility that this is true, do you not want to hear more of it? So much better than Uncle Bob on a golf course somewhere in the sky. Well, then then Paul applies it. Look at verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's so much written on the second coming. When will he come back? How will it happen? When will it happen? But do you see the point? It's not to speculate. It's not to engage in academic debate. It's deeply, deeply, deeply practical. Encourage one another. Those who are grieving, encourage one another. Those who are caught up in the world, encourage them. Shame on us if we engage in debate about this but we do not encourage each other. Jesus is coming back. It's a tremendous hope that conquers the grave. But secondly, it's a warning that disturbs our peace. Jesus is coming back. A warning that disturbs our peace. If he's coming back, when is he coming back? That's the question. And Paul is clear, verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, brothers, we don't need to write to you about dates, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, sudden and unexpectedly like a thief. And it's an odd image, isn't it? The returning king, to contrast him with a thief. Until we remember it's Jesus' own image, isn't it? That he will come suddenly and unexpectedly. Very important to note this people out there who say I know exactly when Jesus is coming back well the person who says that knows more than Jesus Jesus himself says no one knows not even me but the father but we do know he will come back just as everyone's saying peace and safety he will come back could be today could be tomorrow could not be for another 2,000 years but he will come back As the world spins on and people go out their business, buying their stocks and buying their houses and doing whatever it is they do, he'll come back. And then, like a woman in labor pains, destruction will come. I think the second image, if the the first image talks of the unexpected, unknown, clearly labor pains are expected to some extent, but they're unavoidable. It cannot you cannot have the baby without the pains it will happen and those who are not ready will not escape these are sobering words are they not and if the king is coming back to set the world aright that's a wonderful thing every enemy dealt with the world will be cleaned up except we remember that we are part of the problem it was Chike Chesterton the journalist who wrote in response to a, a debate in the Times about what is wrong with the world. And he wrote in and said, Dear Sir, in answer to your question, what is wrong with the world? I am. Yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Something deeply true about that. That each one of us lives as kings and queens in God's world. And that's fine in our own little fiefdom. But bring us together and we clash. I can't be king if you're king. And so we fight. 
and we see conflict and sin and scale it up to wars and destruction. But the reality is either we meet Jesus in the air as a believer, we submit and welcome him in, come King Jesus, or we meet him as an enemy. And that's a terrible, terrible warning. It's a warning that should disturb our peace. Be easy for me this morning not to talk of this. Christmas is coming. Time of peace and good tidings. Who wants to be disturbed? And yet how unloving would that be? Many of you will have seen Christianity Explored, the great video series produced by Rico Tice that introduced the Christian faith. If you've not done that and you've questions, please can I encourage you next term to do it. But somewhere Rico says, the, the author of that course says, of a time when he was a young preacher and his rugby teammates had got hold of a tape of his sermon. And they said, let's have a laugh. Let's listen to Rico's sermon. So they put it on and they had a laugh. But at the end, one of his teammates was stony silent. And he turned and looked at Rico. And he said, Rico, if you believe there's a heaven and a hell, if you believe the Lord Jesus is coming back to judge the world, why have you not told me? Do you not care for me? Well, friends, with love, I want to disturb your peace. Jesus is absolutely clear. He's coming back. There will be destruction for all those who are not ready. Are we ready? Are we ready? Well, then third, Jesus is coming back. A wake-up call. Be alert. Live with Jesus. In Thessalonica, there will be some who are worried, just as there are some worried. I hope there are some worried in this room. Am I ready? And Paul goes on to give them reassurance and a challenge. The thief is coming, but, verse 4, you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. And the wonderful truth is, if we're a Christian, we've come into the light. Jesus has woken us up. If you're not a Christian, will you wake up? Jesus invites you, calls you, come into the light. But then once we're in the light, we need to live in the light and not scurry back into the darkness. Look at the end of verse 5. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. We don't belong to the night, so don't live in it. He's playing with this image of the thief, I think. We talk about nightlife, don't we? Often it's a euphemism for bad things. But here we see the thief come when people are asleep at night or at night when they're drunk. But we are in the day. Verse 8, we belong to the day, so let us be self-controlled. Let us put on the faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Remember those three marks in Thessalonians of the genuine Christian. But I think better not put on so much as you have put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet a hope of salvation. We live in Christ. We are his soldiers. We should be alert for battle. We do trust him. We do love him. We are waiting. So are we ready? Are we standing firm on guard duty? Are we self-controlled? Or are we napping? Let's be honest. It's not just the world out there that thinks the world will keep spinning forever and a day. Are we caught up in our own things, in our projects, in our careers, maybe even our Christian ministries, without remembering Jesus is coming back? 
wake up. Wake up. Are we so caught up that we don't have time to warn others? Next week we'll have the invitations to bring around the streets. I think I've got it right that last year there weren't enough people to do that. Wouldn't that be a tragedy if that wasn't the case, if we were so busy with our Christmas parties, and we are busy, that we didn't have time to do that, to warn those around? Wake up. Because, verse 9, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. For he died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Aren't these amazing words? The judge who is coming died, so we may live with him. Whether we're dead or alive, if we're in Christ, we live with him. Can you imagine an aid worker? on the fields of Africa somewhere. They build wells. They're a humanist. And you ask them, why do you do that? They say, for the good of humanity, for the the principle of loving other humans. Or a soldier on some far-flung battlefield risking life and limb. Why do you do it? To serve queen and country. Maybe one day the queen will pin a medal on my chest. Well, how much greater a hope we have. Not for a principle. Not for the vague hope of meeting the queen. It doesn't say... We live for Jesus. We live with Jesus. The missionary on the far-flung mission field. The mother raising children to the glory of God. The missionary in the office or the school. We do it with Jesus. He's there with us. And the hope is that one day we will be with him forever. Friends, does that not encourage us? Are we awake? Are we sober? Are we living in the light? If not, let's wake up. And live together with Jesus. Well, as we end, let's see Paul's application. Look at verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. I wonder, are we like the church in Thessalonica doing that? Again and again, we've seen in Thessalonians, the Christian life is not a solo life. It's not a solo performance. We need each other. Who are we encouraging? Who are we helping to fix their eyes on the Lord's return that they may live wholeheartedly for him? In a moment, I'm going to pray. I'd love us, before Andrew comes up, to turn to a neighbor and say to them, Jesus has come back. It's a wonderful message of hope. Wouldn't be a travesty if we left here being told to encourage one another we didn't do it. Let's try and do that. I know that's odd. I know that's weird. If you really can't stand to do that, just keep your head down and pray or pretend to be praying. (laughs) But let's encourage each other. Sorry, I don't know about the ethics of pretending to pray. Pray. But let's encourage each other. This is wonderful. Let me pray, and then we'll encourage one another, because Jesus is coming back. Pray the collect for this first Sunday in Advent. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light now in this time of this mortal life in which your son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Ghost now and forever. Amen. Let's encourage one another.